Hello and welcome to ACX Everywhere 2023. I'm Andrew Wilson and this episode is an extended conversation recorded at an ACX Everywhere meetup in Berkeley, California in October of 2023. This meetup took place at Lighthaven, which is a beautiful event space and conference center located in the heart of Berkeley. Thanks, Skylar, for organizing, and thank you, everyone at Lighthaven, for your hospitality. I don't really know what to say about this episode, frankly, because I don't really know how to describe a conversation that covers so much ground. The participants were awesome, and thanks to one participant in particular, especially for educating me about Kaifeng Juice. In general, I'm a fan of people who propose novel and audacious plans, even when the logistics appear insurmountable. So... Take it for what it is, this episode. I think it's great. I really hope you enjoy it. This is ACX Everywhere 2023 Berkeley. Rose Garden, yeah, just started. If you want to introduce yourself, awesome. What People have used pseudonyms, which is hilarious. <laughs> if you want to, feel free. I'm Andrew Wilson, Sacramento. So, I'm Yuri of, I don't know, Berkeley, Concord, Uzbekistan, New York. <laughs> there we go. Many things. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> My name is Jake. I live in San Francisco. Awesome. Uh, yeah, great to meet you all. It's great to be here. Great the weather here. is obviously amazing, and I love this place. It's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, literally ACX origin stories. We've talked about those. We could just dive into culture war. We haven't really done much on this podcast, which makes sense. I don't think anyone really wanted to do that. Uh, yeah, and literally some of the stuff I could just, I will cut it out if, if you all don't want. But I mean, is there any anything ACX that you feel called to say? If not, totally fine. We can talk literature or science fiction or great history books we've read lately. I don't know. Yeah, ACX or back when it was SSC, I think was my gateway drug into just like all of this, let's say. Yeah. The way that it happened was um, at my employer, uh, we hired as an intern uh, this guy who's a member of the rationalist community. His name is Alex Altair. Lots of people probably know him. And uh, one day we were uh, riding Bart back home. I was like, just tell me all about it. And he's like, just go, go, I'm not going to, just go read SSC. <laughs> and, and just any one thing. And you'll immediately figure out if you like it or not. So, so did it just take, just take the one? It just took like a couple of <laughs> couple, right? uh, articles. Right. And I'm like, mm, this has already improved the way that I think about the world. So this is clearly a thing. And so it's been, I don't know, when did Alex... 2015 it's been like eight years at this point awesome jake <laughs> yeah i'm a much more recent addition i can't even remember exactly how it started but i read some ssc thing and then another one and then meditations and moloch was the one where i was like holy, holy shit. shit yes <laughs> that was my experience as well totally as definitely the one of the most memorable ones I mean, I think that's just like global yeah. agreement. So. Yeah, power law distribution, right? Like one of them's going to be like yeah, much more than, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, he wrote, and then, I mean, and then I think the first time I read one of the more than you wanted to know about something, mm -hmm. then it was just this whole other facet of just insane research and like synthesis and teaching and explaining, you know, like in a different way, which was like a deep dive into one, <laughs> one rabbit hole, right? Yeah, I'm excited to be here in person because I don't know anybody else who I, no reads it you know maybe they, they read it and i just don't know so i'm excited to be around other people where i'm not trying to explain like yeah i'm eating a lot of potatoes because i like read something on the internet where some guy was explaining <laughs> how you you know your potassium 
salt balance. You know, you can lose weight by eating a lot of potatoes. I, I swear it makes sense. Some guy on the internet said it. Yep. No, I did not go on that one, but I, but yeah, I saw a lot of pictures on the internet of potatoes. <laughs> I've been doing potatoes and chicken recently, mm. and that's a good potatoes, chicken, and butter, which I found helps the potatoes. Mm, totally. Yeah. Nice. So far, so good. Yeah. No, this is the mother. This is the mothership, is how I I think about it in Berkeley, because Sacramento, like ACX beat up, has been great for a long time, but on the smaller side for sure. And then coming here and just like yeah, 100, 150 people and just every convert. That's one of my favorite things. You walk around, you just stop, just stop and listen to any conversation, and vast majority are pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, the uh, now that I think about it, the SSC article that I have sent out the most. Oh yeah, to the like. Let's just say the normie population <laughs> yeah. um, is actually, I don't remember if it's much more than you wanted to know, but it's basically, I think it's called gabapentinoids, much more than you wanted to know. And it's about the, these two medications that are widely used in, apparently in psychiatry, but also in chronic pain management, gabapentin and pregabalin or Lyrica is the uh, okay. brand name. And the the reason for it is, you know, I used to have a lot of chronic pain issues and sort of Lyrica helped me out a lot. And then I read this and like, okay, well, that explains a lot, but apparently they've started using it for anxiety and it's just a broader, like calm down your nervous system medication. And a lot of uh, people that I know that struggle, they're not really getting the right meds from their doctors, which seems to be just like a common common thing that uh, keeps on reoccurring and i keep on sending this article about how uh, lyrica is an off-label medication for anxiety and literally a week ago a friend of mine with whom i haven't spoken in about two or three years uh, just sort of jumped back in touch she texted me and she says in celebration of national mental health day which was a couple of like a week ago or something like that, I'd really like to thank you for telling me about Lyrica. It like changed my life. Hell yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And actually, but the reason why that happened was because of the SSC article. Yeah. I have a similar thing with modafinil because that I, I have ADD and I just figured that out a couple of years ago and everything makes so much sense looking back now, <laughs> like so much more than it did. Uh, but yeah, a friend of mine in the ACX group in Sacramento talked to me about it first. And he gave me Gorn's deep dive and then I did a bunch of research and I got it. And oh my God, does it help me so much and not physically dependent because I have a lot of addiction in the family and that's not going to take Ritalin and Adderall, which is not meth, but close, right? right? Again, Scott's, Scott's deep dive on that. But yeah, I've, I've turned a lot of people onto modafinil off-label as well. And some people it's really, really helped. And so kind of that's kind of a similar experience I've had. But yeah, for me personally, man, modafinil just makes such a difference. I regret to say that I am, you know, maybe like a part of the 6% or whatever for whom modafinil is basically a commitment to the restroom for the rest of the day. Oh my stuff. God, I'm sorry. I tried many, many times to get past that and it just isn't happening. So just unfortunately, uh, I, I, I didn't know there was, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, that's unfortunate, but modafinil isn't part of my stack. <laughs> so. My subjective experience with modafinil is that if I take it in the morning and don't eat, I get a much stronger effect than totally. if I take it in the morning and do eat. I, I've experienced this as, a, as well, actually. Um, I mean, I drink caffeine, too, a lot, and I still smoke cigarettes. Another Scott Post I want to mention, but but yeah, no, I found the exactly, I think that 
that tracks with my experience as well. I mean, I only take half of one or a quarter of one though, like 50 or hundred milligrams. I took 200 once and it was, it was terrible, but I have friends who take, well, yeah, it takes one. He takes one and a half like sometimes. So how frequently do you take it usually? Two or three times, four times a week, probably yeah. something like that. I mean, if I take it three days in a row and then I don't take it, there's definitely a fall off the next day with the dopamine or whatever. But generally if I take a quarter, one or half or one once or twice, I mean, it's not free, but it's close. Yeah. You know, in terms of, yeah. But I, I mean, my executive function, I didn't even realize how bad my ADD was until I took my <laughs> actually, because I'd never taken any amphetamines at all in my life. And it was just like, oh my God, is this how it is for everyone? Being able to focus like yeah. whatever they want? I had a similar experience when I started taking Wellbutrin okay. uh, as an uh-huh. antidepressant about maybe five, six years ago. Um, I really like, I self-diagnosed with like subclinical depression because I've never had a depressive episode where I was just like Mm. in bed. But like, you know, up until the age of 35, if you'd asked anybody else about how they would describe me, it'd just be like, "Eh, like a fucking curmudgeon. And uh, after I started, I'm like, wait a minute, you mean this is how regular people feel (laughs) regularly? Right? <laughs> they don't find everything wrong with the world <laughs> on a daily basis. Oh, shit. <laughs> totally. No. Yeah, when I was I was 14 or 15, I ended up on Wellbutrin. But the way it happened was I was diagnosed with depression. And then the doctor said, try this medication. And I tried it. And a couple weeks later, he goes, how do you feel? And I go, pretty crappy. And he said, try this different medication. And a couple weeks later, he says, how do you feel? Pretty crappy. And it's amazing to me that there's such a stigma against self-medicating and a lot of kind of like normal uh, society, but the way the official channel is just based on your subjective experience. Mm-hmm. The thing decided whether I would get more of that drug or get a different drug was just whether or not I came into the office, you know, one hour every two weeks and said I felt good or I felt bad. Yep. Yeah, no, I took Zoloft <clears throat> in my 20s for a year and it was incredibly helpful at the time. I was doing really bad. I did cold turkey it, which then I read about, I realized afterwards not supposed it was to a really it. weird week. Let me tell you that week. Yeah, that was stupid. But yeah, it was incredibly helpful for me at that point. But yeah, over COVID, I went and tried to get online healthcare and like talked to somebody, my doctor. And yeah, I'm not going to say who it was, but like, yeah, first, how are you feeling? All these things. And then off, like literally 10 minutes in offered me benzo diazepines, <laughs> like benzos. It's like, oh, you're yeah. doing bad here. Take these benzos. Yeah. It was like, it was the weirdest thing because no, yeah, it would probably kill me actually if I, if I tried, if I got hooked on those because like I have a really addictive personality. I have a doctor who is basically like, what do you need this week? Yeah. (laughs) I know what I need to get through the day. This, this, and this. Great. Thanks. No, totally. (laughs) No, never tried Xanax either. I've heard it's amazing, but uh, I've never tried it. This is going to sound really strange. I used to say I had an addictive personality and then I tried cocaine and I found that I really had no addiction issues with cocaine at all. Whereas I have really serious addiction issues with things like YouTube and video games. Yeah. And I don't know if it has something to do with being exposed to one much earlier in life and the other mm. much later in life or what, but that, that, that tracks for me yeah. on some levels for sure. Huh? Yeah. And no, I worked in restaurants for 20 something years and I've never tried Coke either, which people probably think I'm lying who have worked in restaurants, but no, we have a lot of addiction in my family and I just watched some friends self-destruct in high school with drugs. Yeah. And I was just very, yeah, saw myself going down, going down the dark path. I do still, still smoke cigarettes though, but one more ACX shout out or SSC for Scott. One of the most meaningful posts for me it's a post called Schizophrenia, No Smoking Gun, I think. And Scott talks about this link and his experience between people who have schizophrenia and people who smoke cigarettes. Uh, 
I won't get into like the nitty gritty, but it just looks like maybe a lot of people with schizophrenia end up smoking and spending more of their higher percentage of their income on nicotine, which seems to me as like a medicative, like self-medication thing. We have schizophrenia that runs in my family and I have not been able to quit smoking. Uh, But yeah, when I stopped smoking after about a week or two, I, I really go on this crash and it just, it was just a way of being like, oh, okay, I'm not just a piece of shit addict. Like maybe I do have this mental illness that I like. Yeah, nicotine, I think, helps me a lot more than it helps other people talking to them. But again, all this is all subjective. But that was helpful, that post reading that. It was just like, thank God there's an explanation for this on some level, maybe. I sometimes enjoy taking like a papers, like for a joint and loose leaf tobacco and just rolling like a really thick, really long basically cigarette and then just smoking the whole thing and getting that like nicotine rush. Oh, it's so great. It's a very fun. Oh, yeah. 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 That's my favorite drug. Really? Nic- nic- yeah, out of all the drugs. If I had to give up all other drugs on a desert out, I could just keep one. It would be nicotine, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, it's just that I'm thinking back to, like, I've I've tried lots of things. I've tried cocaine. I really did not like it. Like, I literally, like, did not like the experience. Yeah. Everybody was like, oh, man, it's great. I'm like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> um, cigarettes, same. Everybody's smoking some, like, what does yeah. this do to you exactly? There you go. <laughs> like, so that, um, I don't know. Um, I'm now like thinking back to, you know, my, my late teens and early 20s drug stack is completely different from my current drug stack. Yeah. <laughs> Just not even compare. I'd, I'd say the like LSD and back when, back when, back when Molly was called ecstasy was probably the like, mm-hmm. if this continues, this is definitely going to destroy me, but it's so good. <laughs> So, like, that was probably my... So, LSD, Molly, same same time? Or one uh, like candy. Yeah, 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 we used to call it candy flipping. Yes, uh, I've heard that. <laughs> right. And then uh, hippie flipping, I think, is mushrooms and Molly, something right? Like something like that. Yeah, no, I've heard, yeah. A hippie speedball is coffee and weed. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that, I, that is my, kind of my daily routine, actually. <laughs> my daily stack, so... Yeah, um, that's funny. So, that's... But that's not, that's, you know, all fun and games for your late teens. It's not yeah. conducive for functioning. Yeah. In an Armageddon type scenario, asteroids yeah. coming and I know we're dead. Yeah, then that's like that's the only right. situation. But then I would absolutely 100% try, try all those combinations. Oh. Yeah. Uh, or one time having a conversation like this with a stranger and I said, what's your favorite drug? And he goes, heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting stranger. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, no, I would like that a lot, I think. Smoking opium, too. A friend of mine who's done all the drugs, he said he only smoked opium once, but he said that was literally his favorite drug experience ever. Wow. For me, it's mushrooms. I mean, mm. I would give up coffee, alcohol, everything to do mushrooms God three or four times a year. It. God damn it. Yet again, yet another thing where I've tried multiple times, I just end up vomiting. It wrecks you? Oh, no. <laughs> every goddamn time. Never had a good mushroom trip. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I've only done them like five, six times, but I did them again earlier this week. And yeah, it really helps me a lot. It really helps me. So, yeah. You ever heard of a uh, hoppe? Hmm. I don't Native think American so. American thing. You know, the old dude gets a long pipe full of whatever herbs and he puts it up in your nose and <laughs> blows it up oh, your blow- nose. Yeah. He has one nostril and the other. That was the roughest drug experience of my life. <laughs> so, I knew it was bad when he said, oh, you know, all of you have a bucket under your chair. <laughs> I was like, oh my. Rough. Yeah. Like, yeah, I watched that Hamilton's Pharmacopia, I think, where he did the ayahuasca trip. Mm. And yeah, I don't I don't think I'm ever going to do that. LSD, maybe. I might try. Probably at some point. Uh, 
I don't know. So he blows. Was it powder or smoke up your it's nose? A powder. I think it's and it oh and it stays God. in your nose and it <laughs> runs down. You know, you're crying. <laughs> Snot is running out of your nose, and you're throwing up for like an hour and a half. I'm, I'm sorry. What is the like ultimate? Like, what yeah. is the target? Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what, what are you? What are you? What are you trying to hit? Here? What does winning look like yeah. in this scenario? <laughs> Great question. He said to us. He said it will take you to the moment after your death, which I don't know if that was just him warning us that it was going to be extremely unpleasant. You, right? <laughs> it was going to be miserable. <laughs> Would not do again. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. No, this is great. Like new tropics, human augmentation, right? Like transhumanism. Yeah, I think it's less fringe than it used to be, just because everyone's seeing all the, all the science fiction inventions that are now in the world. Uh, I just read an article a day or two ago. I think linked off of Less Wrong, where someone was talking about ultrasound to modulate different regions of the brain. Yeah, focus ultrasound. Yeah, huh. with multiple the the interference patterning of the different waves they can they can like micro target. I think I think I read this probably the same the same article. Well, okay. This yeah, that, that's going like on my list. Potentially have huge well, I think the gist was they can, you know, basically turn up or turn down the volume on different parts of the brain with, you know, millimeter precision, non-invasively with ultrasound. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and then transcranial stimulation too with the electrical currents running through different regions of very low voltages. There have been some breakthroughs with that. I bought one of those kits years ago and I tried it on myself a couple times. I did not have good... I got really depressed for a week twice and I was just like, I'm never doing this again. Like it was supposed to do the opposite. Yeah. And I put it in the right place from everything I could tell. But again, buying a box on the internet and stimulating your own brain (laughs) turns out not always going to (laughs) work. DIY. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, DIY is in... my, My wife... Ever since COVID, my wife calls it what we do, uh, DIY epidemiology. (laughs) Right? So, you know. 100%. uh, It's just DIY brain stimulation. (laughs) I read a lot of sci-fi and a lot of tech stuff. And yeah, it's getting... The people... Where's my flying car people? Like, I really don't have any sympathy with that anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I just don't. Five years ago, maybe. But now it's just like, yeah. I will give you so many more interesting things (laughs) than a flying car. Here, let me... Okay, here's 20. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, yeah, I just... I don't know. And then this effective accelerationism thing, I just find, I don't know, good things and bad things with it. I don't know if, if you're familiar with this. It's mostly, mostly a Twitter-based thing. It's called E-A-C-C. It's effective oh. accelerationism. Yeah, I've seen I've seen those four letters with a slash. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, that's... No, like, literally Mark Andreessen threw it into his yeah, bio yeah. and Screlly and all these fucking people. Like, no, it's... I don't know. I'm not gonna... I'm not... I mean, yeah, there's some things I appreciate about it, but I'm also... I don't want to talk shit about it right now really because yeah anyway maybe they'll be at the next acx meeting yeah i bet there's some fucking here i'd be very very surprised if not problem with learning about movements on twitter is i can never tell who's part of the movement and who's satirizing the movement oh right no i mean that is really fun (laughs) new new volunteer excellent we like that welcome do you want you can introduce yourself you can use a pseudonym if you want as well (laughs) sure um i'm josh uh that's it Perfect. Nice. ACX origin story or rationalism or anything. That's kind of one thing. I mean, also, if you don't want to, like, there's no pressure with any of this. For sure. I'm a rationalist. Even before I know the rationalism movement. Yeah. And uh, I have a lot of fun stories about my background. I'm a native Chinese Jew from a super tiny Jewish community in China. Uh, What part of China? Um, or what region maybe it's called Kaifeng K-A-I-F-E-N-G okay and we have just a few hundreds members but 20 community members made Aliyah back to Israel 
and three members actually serving the IDF. And the reason why I'm here is just to meet Scott because I have some ideas about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I'm not sure what I'm talking about. Is this a good place to discuss this kind of sensitive, I mean, pro-peace? I'm not like a, yep. Zion, like a hardcore Zionist or whatever. But anyway, uh, how's the wipe? Should I... Med- uh, you know, centralized opinions. Well, central opinions welcome, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, no. I, I was just... Uh, give, long story short, long story short. Mm-hmm. I wrote an article about how to have the peace between the, the Israeli and the Palestinian. I think we always say like the two-state solution, but actually I think we should have the three-state solution. I think German has the obligation mm. to accept Palestinian, whatever refugee or Palestinian citizen, especially in Gaza, to Germany. Fascinating. It's like a... Wait, what's the third state then? Germany is the third state? Okay, let me, let me give you some well, context. I, I mean, I can figure out why Germany, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> let, let, me, let me give you more details. And, like. and Britain and America, too, I could make arguments, so... <laughs> let's focus on America. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Let's focus on, on, Ger- Germany. on Germany. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I mean, UK and US didn't kill six millions of Jews. That's true. So they don't have such moral obligation. As humankind, we should all have yes moral obligation to save innocent people, right? But I will say the Germans they have more moral obligation than average people. And the two-state solution is that. You know, the UN uh, idea, oh, you know, let the Palestinian have the Palestine as their country, let the Israeli have the Israel as their country. But unfortunately, it doesn't work. As you can tell, what happened in Gaza, what happened in Israel now, it doesn't work because, you know, we, are, we, are, we Jews and the Arabic, we are brothers, okay? We are all Semites. And we are fighting against each other, as you can tell. So it doesn't work. So I will say, we need okay let's use, i'm a founder of a, i'm a founder of a startup you know i i do believe the first principle thinking why we have this conflict because the european germans germany you know treat us very bad and kill 6 millions of jews and we have to we have to go to israel we have to find a safe place to live which feel bad to the palestinian that they suffered a lot so how about they can it, I'm not forced. I'm not proposed to forcing them to move to to German, to Germany. The German government should have the policy to give mm. like two million visas. Okay, let these people to go to German. I'm not. It's a visa. It's an option. It's it's an offer. It's not a yeah. an order. So that's why I mean Scott is Jewish and and he's pretty influential. I met uh, with Podolitza Rice, the former Secretary of the State several weeks ago and can, can i can i stress test that theory just or like the viability of that solution for sure yeah so uh, i've read plenty of arguments like you know okay fine so let's start with i've read arguments on the internet which is never a good way to start a sentence but so there is at least the theory that well why did you know uh 
Britain pick the actual place where the state of Israel is right now as the physical location to move the Jews to, they could have just picked some giant prairie in Montana that's undeveloped, and they would have developed it in the same exact way that they've developed Israel. So there's something special about the land. So we don't broadly accept the argument that it is arbitrary that we picked that place to put Israel in. We could have just put it anywhere, but we just decided that that's it. No, there's actually like, you know, historical implications for why we picked that place. We, I mean, whatever, the Western world, I don't claim no responsibility in picking that place. Way yeah. Saying, okay, well, Palestinians could just move to Germany and Germany has to accept them. I'm like, okay, but why, why would they, why would they move to Germany if the commitment is to that spot in the world. The question is to Palestinian or to German? The question is to Palestinian. Okay. Why, why would they accept a move out? Because what they actually want is that tiny piece of land. Okay, for sure. In fact, I mean... I totally understand what's the question. I will say there are tons of reasons why I think they believe they would be willing to move to German first. Germany is a developed country, even for the, like the the life interest. I will say it's a better place to than Gaza, and I'm not a big fan of Bibi. I'm not a big big fan of Netanyahu. Okay, makes sense <laughs> for sure. In every reasonable people should not be a big fan of Bibi. Okay, and I even believe you know Bibi has a plan to destroy Gaza. So. For their own safety concern, I think Germany is a peaceful country now. It's better for the Palestinian. Okay, you have a life. You know, so I, I think innocent people deserve a better life. Okay, a peaceful but so life. the core assumption is there that Palestinians would prefer to live in a developed country like Germany. That, that's the core assumption. Again, it's an offer. Okay. It's not an order. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but I guess I'm saying is like the success of the solution Me, is that if the offer exists, how many of them would take it? That, right. That, so that, to them, so, I cannot speak for, okay. for them, right? So I mean, I have even more specific question, which what percentage of Palestinians do you think speak German? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure we are in the United States. We don't have, a, don't force everyone to speak English. Okay, we don't force everyone to speak English. I'm not sure about the German policy, but again, I think even with the language barrier, I'm also immigrant, okay? I'm also immigrant. I also overcome a lot of cultural shock, whatever, language barrier. But so that the German has a policy that you have to speak German to live there or... No, but they've had a lot of right-wing parties do a lot better lately. They've taken in a lot of immigrants. They have a lot of problems there about this already. And yeah, I... I, That's still... still In in theory, I mean, Germany... Fine, U.S. and Britain both, I think, bear responsibility for uh, the way that it's gone, for sure, in the over yeah. the last 70 years in that part of the world. I understand. France before. There must be a lot of struggle if you are going to immigrate to any place, not just German. But again, it's still better than Gaza. The Gaza is a real low bar, seriously. Yeah. It's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but... I don't even know if I believe that. I mean, hashtag real Gaza on Twitter shows some really nice places. Just to be, just to be clear, no comment. Okay. <laughs> I think the idea of responsibility is interesting. Like more responsibility. Um, there's this, you know, common thought experiment. I'm less wrong about the red button and the blue button. And if at least fifty percent of the people press the blue button, everybody lives. But if 
less than 50% of people press the blue button. Only the people who press the red button live. All the people who press the blue button die. You don't know the other people who have this little box with the buttons. So it's like, what do you press? Do you press the red button or the blue button? And I read this and I thought, obviously you press the blue button because that's like the game theory cooperation. You know, Ooh. all you have to do is people press the blue button and then they all live. What? And then I read the problem again. Yeah. Somebody rephrase it as if you press the red button, you guaranteed live. live. Yeah. But if you press the blue button, you die unless at least 50% yeah. of other people press it. And just hearing the question reword it totally changed the way that I right. thought about I'm my responsibility. Just, I cannot even describe to you the brain confusion I experienced literally seven seconds ago when you said it's obviously blue. And I was like, obviously it's red. What are you talking about? Iterated prisoner's dilemma blue. <laughs> If it's not a black swan, but yes, if it's a one-off, then I'll, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. It, it felt obvious to me at the time. No, yeah. In that moment, I was like, oh. Boy. Wait, no, sorry. I might have misheard the question because I don't even understand what is the, what is the potential gain for blue? That other, so if, if at least blue, half the population presses blue, everybody lives. Okay. Otherwise, everyone who pressed blue died. Okay. So the idea is you would press blue because you want other people who press blue to live. But it's like, well, if everybody presses red... Then yeah, what happens everybody if lives? everybody presses red? If everybody presses red, they all live. If everybody presses red, one person presses blue, that person dies. Why would? Why did they pick blue? <laughs> because they think, oh... There might be one other person that picked blue? Or there might be... They want to believe in... One. They want to believe that humanity is filled with people who would all pick blue. That's basically yeah. why you pick blue. If, if 49... If you have 100 people and 49 of them picked blue, you choosing to pick blue saves 49 lives. Yeah. And if it's only 49, though, then that means, yeah, you lost, like, 49 mostly mostly rationalists, effective altruists, yeah, okay, and other, other people. Under the premise that everybody would make the calculation that obviously everybody should just should press red, red and move on. Yeah. And... You're basically like, what if somebody makes a mistake? Yeah, <laughs> like this is a this is this is dependent on one person out there not doing the fully blown rationalist calculation. Yeah, plausible. Yes. Okay. Cool. I wonder if you would feel differently if the numbers were different. Like, what if it was five percent? If five percent of people pick blue? Huh. Well, then I think that makes it easy. That I think everyone. Uh, wait, wait. Sorry, restate the question with the five percent blue. It must be. You have a you have a red button and a blue button. Yeah. Let's say a hundred people get it. Yeah. If at least five people press the blue button, everyone lives. Otherwise, everyone who presses the blue button dies. So the bar for everyone living is way lower. Yeah, I think you would get almost a hundred. I think you would get eighty per eighty twenty maybe on that something. I don't know. That seems like I would be I would be more likely to press blue for sure. Fifty with humans is pretty. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm a little paranoid sometimes, so I don't know if I would be able to trust people. Yeah. I want to be that person. Wait, wait, okay, so all, let's take it all the way. Right. There are two buttons, yeah. red and blue. A hundred yeah. people come up. If one person presses blue, they uh, live. Everyone lives. Everyone lives. And if everybody presses red, everyone still lives. Yep. And if, no, and if there were zero people pressing... So, with one, it is completely yeah. identical. Great. Let's point expected value or whatever. Yeah, let's do, <laughs> let's do two. I come up to the thing. If I press blue and one other, other person presses blue, then both of us live. However, if I press red, 
then if there is one other person that pressed blue, they die. Yep. They know this. Why would they press blue? <laughs> they love the idea that humans are yeah okay are so, are good and, and so you and then you just recurse yourself from that baseline position you should end up at everybody should just press red or you in my head i'm crazy like literally thinking about it afterwards and feeling like a coward is definitely <laughs> like a possible potential downside that i could think I of myself like giving myself a hard time about that like forever like i don't I don't know. <laughs> I mean, do you do you find out the answer or you? Don't? Well, I, that's a key. <laughs> that's a key. Doing a prediction market on this, that would be a key qualification to uh, to be very clear about. <laughs> do you have to live with the consequences? Awesome. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Uh, May I ask a question? Of course, yeah. yeah. So I can see three of us do have name tags. Oh yeah. So you are the host. Yeah, I'm Andrew Wilson. I got here and set this up before, yeah, early, and I never got a name tag. So you're right. I should probably go do that, actually. Okay. I might try to hack someone else in here to talk. So, so is this a podcast or something? Yeah, it is. I went around, I drove all around the country the last two months, and this is the fifth ACX Everywhere meetup in a city that I've recorded. So I did Washington, D.C. first, and then Philadelphia, Austin, Texas, and Houston. And then recording here today, and then in Sacramento, where I'm from next week, to set this up at the one I throw. So, 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 may I have a record of our conversation as well? Like, I think uh, it's publicly available. It's going yeah. to be publicly available. Yeah, there's four. All the everything I've recorded before, except the last part of Houston, is up now on any of the podcasting platforms. If you search ACX Everywhere 2023, this will pop up. So, yeah, you'll have this. You'll be able to share this for sure, 100. Okay. I see. Yeah, I no, see. and then I appreciate. And I don't even I don't know. Scott posted something. I don't actually think he's going to be here today. But this is actually a good way. You got it written down. It's going to be public what yeah. you were wanting to talk about. So that's, I mean, yeah, if he's not here, that's a, it's not, not, not nothing. Yeah. Since you don't have name tag, what's your name? Uh, Andrew. 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 Andrew Wilson. Yeah. Sacramento, California. I do the ACX kind of meet up there. You are basically in Sacramento. Yep. Okay. I also do some lobby stuff in Sacramento. I met nice. Attorney General of California, Senator Congress. Sweet. So. Well, we should know. We definitely do. We should hang out. Like I, yeah. I worked at a lot of restaurants and I like to, yeah, I live in Midtown and it's, I like Sacramento a lot, actually. I, nice. I went to high school there and lived nice. there for quite a while. Yeah, nice. it's good. It's good. Yeah, go ahead. Could you tell me the history of your people, the, the Jews of China? Thank you. I would be very interested in that yeah, as well. Never mentioned, so. actually, appreciate your question. It gave me an opportunity to promote myself. Okay? 100%. I'll be right back. I need to go get them. Uh, but please keep going. I'll be, yeah, I'll be sure. right back. I mean, you have the record, so you <laughs> can still catch on. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. for sure. So uh, we left the, the destroy. We left Israel before the destroy of the Second Temple, and we don't call ourselves Jews. We call ourselves Israelites, and we used to have our own synagogue, our own rabbi, our own Torah. And after we we leave Israel, we first moved to Iran, you know, Persian, and then India, and finally settled down in China. So it's a long, long journey. And uh, so that's pretty, I mean, you can search on Wikipedia. We have pretty decent Wikipedia page. Almost not every, I mean, there are several like mistakes on the Wikipedia page because there are some misunderstanding. But in general, I will say Wikipedia is a good place to, to know more about us. It's called Kaifeng, K-A-I-F-E-N-G, Kaifeng Jews. Mm -hmm. If you search on Wikipedia, you are, yeah. it will pop up and you will know everything, almost everything. But yeah. Around what 
year, like what century did was the final sort of destination China? The time that we left Israel was before the destroy of Second Temple. Right. At the time we entered the China was around one thousand years ago during yeah. Song Dynasty. Okay, so that's pretty a range. But so yeah, and there's a lot of fun factor about us. Like we call Abraham Buddha of because <laughs> <laughs> I can speak Mandarin. I'm a Mandarin speaking Jew. Uh huh. So in Mandarin. Rohan. Okay, Abraham in Hebrew is Avrohan. Okay. In, in Mandarin, Rohan means Buddha. Okay. It's a coincidence. It's just a coincidence. There's nothing related with. But we use this coincidence to create a, a more like a mix of the, the Buddhism and Judaism. I think reason why we do that is because we want to make the local Chinese people easy to understand what we are doing. So we call Abraham the Buddha of Av. <laughs> so that's a fun fact. And we don't celebrate Hanukkah because we left Israel before the destroy of Second Temple. And Hanukkah was set after the destroy of Second Temple. So we don't celebrate Hanukkah. And we only believe in written Torah. We don't believe in the oral Torah because oral Torah is easy to modify or whatever. So written Torah is more legit. So yeah, yeah. Is it a community that, so do you folks exclusively speak Mandarin or is there like Mandarin, Hebrew, yeah. uh, pidgin or whatever? Our was written in Persian Hebrew. It's okay. Hebrew characters, okay. but the personalized. And me personally speak Mandarin. And some Hebrew, no, I hear, not good at language. I'm really suck at, suck at the languages. Even my Mandarin. My Mandarin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes I will even... Just to be clear, that's your first language, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is my first language. It, it was, yeah, okay. yeah, but I mean, right. language skill sucks, okay? okay got it. Here are the fun facts. I love fun facts. Sure. Yeah, another fun fact. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> when I was a child, I, actually, I speak much later than average child. My mom even has concern, oh, I may have a dumb baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then... That's a terrible thing for Jews. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> and then, fortunately, Baruch Hashem, no. thanks to God, that uh, I, I start to speak later, but yes. Then I figured out, actually, I'm more good at something more logic, more rational. Because, you know, actually, language basically has no logic. It's more like, I can give you an example. Like, why we always say anti-Semitism? I mean, the Arabic, they are also Semites. Right. It should be anti-Jewish. But somehow someone used the anti-Semitism anti-Jewish and then people don't say anti-Jewish and it become anti-Semitism. It doesn't make any sense. So this kind of example exists in all languages, like even in Mandarin. I think Mandarin is more reasonable than, you know, Mandarin actually is the only hieroglyphic language that people are still using every single day. Like there are some Egyptian, like Asian Egyptian hieroglyphic. I would say in general, hieroglyphic is more reasonable than alphabetic language, like English, Italian, even Hebrew. Because, uh, you know, each hieroglyphic characters is a painting and you can easily to tell. I, I mean, I have a, a fun theory. If one day alien invade is going to invade Earth and they know nothing about all these languages, I will say Mandarin may be the first language they can understand. Because it's holographic. Right? Yes, they like, can tell. They can tell like one, like one is... It's like the... It's like yeah, Arri the movie Arrival, <laughs> <laughs> kind of. But I mean, I give you 
Like why O N E is what? Give me right. a reason. Give me a reason why O N E is what? It's probably some crazy German, probably German <laughs> thing. But you know, Mandarin. Okay, so I have a different question for you. So you just said Baruch Hashem a minute ago. Like, so are the prayers that you guys recite still in Hebrew, or like, how does that work? Our last rabbi passed away 100 years ago. Okay, so okay, cool. So then, what? How do you actually practice the faith? Technically, Judaism is a cult. It's not illegal in mainland China. Wait, sorry, run that by me again. Okay,、uh, Judaism is not a legal, a legal religion in China. Judaism is not an, not an il- illegal. No, 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 okay, let me, let me. Because they, it's because it's classified as a cult.、Uh, yes.、Uh, okay, there is only five, is there is only fucking mind blowing.、Okay. Yes. There is only five legal religion in China. Okay, and Judaism is not one of it. So technically. All Judaism practice is illegal.、Uh, yeah, yeah. So how does that affect? Ah,、uh, doesn't affect me too much、uh, since I'm in the United States and we have tons of <laughs> even overwhelmed <laughs> Jewish population. Rewind. Okay, there are so many questions because I know I know I can read on Wikipedia the like you know the, the, the facts, but like the subjective experience of like okay, so what does it mean to grow up Jewish in China? Like I can tell you what it means to grow up Jewish in Uzbekistan because that's where I'm from. So you are a Pakistan Jew, Iranian. So you are also Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. We have so much Jewish people here. I mean. Okay, so you are Iranian Jew, yeah, Persian Jew. Okay, so well, you speak Bukharian by you know, okay, okay. but yeah, the Bukharians are descended. Do, do, do you speak Farsi? My parents, well, sorry, my grandparents do. I do not. Okay, okay, interesting. Wow, wow.、Uh, what's the question again? My question was, what is it? What is it like to grow up Jewish in China? <laughs> like non-Jewish people. Like non-Jewish people. Yes. Okay, so then what? Aside from saying. I'm. Big, there are practices associated with being. I can only、Jewish、practice Judaism outside of China. I mean,、okay. mainland China. Okay. 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 So, Very interesting. Yeah. That's. A, you, how did you know that you were Jewish? Yeah. How do you know that you're Jewish? Jewish there's nothing in there. with、uh, the history and fleeing、yeah. in the Second Temple. Yeah. Good question. Actually, we are Petrolanian Jew. We follow the male line. We follow by the、know. father. Okay. Unlike the European Jewish community, because Europe.、Uh, yeah. But、so、we can always trace our. Family name, like you know, it's a combination. If you have a Jewish father, and then you always have this name. I'm not going to reveal my last name here, but it's a super rare last name in China. Okay. And you can only find my family name. And by the way, our ID. I mean, the Chinese government force everyone to have a to 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 have a ethnic to choose an ethnic group on their. ID, okay, but there is no Jewish category. You cannot choose Jews as a category of your ethnic. Even you are Jewish, but you cannot choose Jew as your ethnic. Okay, eth- yeah, exactly. And so you can either choose Han, which is the majority of the Chinese population,、mm-hmm. or Hui, okay, which is basically the Muslims. So, and Uyghur. Uyghur is other group. Not every. Uh, it's a little bit complicated. Not, not、uh, every Muslim is Uyghur. Not every. Uyghur、uh, yeah. Is Muslim.、Uh, yeah. Not 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 every Hui is Muslim. Not every Muslims is Hui. In general, there are still some exception. Like you can still be the Hui, but you don't practice Islamic. But doesn't matter. In general. Hi, Skyler. Yeah, oh, you, you、uh, got it. Just sat down. I'm Skyler. I have、oh. no idea what conversation is about yet. <laughs> Hold up a chair. Twenty、uh, seconds ago. Yeah, for sure. But you have a pearly.、Uh, I let I let Josh finish and then I'll、yeah. I'll loop you in. All right. Yeah, this is a podcast, so you can always.、Mm-hmm. 
follow up. We finish it. Anyway, and it's a real fun fact. It's a real fun conversation. Like I will say, as as you can imagine, that an Iranian Jew with a native Chinese Jew talk about like the Israeli. I mean, again,、uh, we are not like hardcore Zionist. In the beginning, I'm here. I'm not even Zionist at all, but I mean, you know. Okay,、uh, since Skyler is here, maybe we can like let Skyler knows that what we are talking about. We are talking about like a a third third path, not third path. I'm sorry, a three three state solution for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Wait, wait, sorry,、okay. that's that's like sorry. half an hour ago. Yes, I've heard, heard two state solution. Three was one up from that. What's Where is the third? Yes, exactly. Actually, that's exactly why I name it as the three-state solution because it's totally different, totally brand new. So, the idea is, German government should involve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because in 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 you know during World War Two, why why we have the Israeli-Palestinian conflict now because the European Did some horrible things in the history, so they kicked Jews out of Europe, and we have to go to Israel, and then it become a tragedy for the Palestinian people. So I think it's it's、mm. they have the moral obligation to accept the Palestinian refugee, especially in Gaza, to German to Germany. So that's why I said it's three state solution: Israeli, Palestinian, and Germany, and then. Want to have, like now you know, situation in Gaza is is as fuck as you can imagine. So that's why I come here. I want to actually I, I want to meet with Scott. I mean Scott is also Jewish, and I think we have the me personally. We also have the moral obligation to let the innocent people on both sides to have peace. So that's how the conversation start, and then we talk about something else. You know about my Jewish community about. Native Chinese Jew. I come from a super tiny Jewish community in China. It's a very fun, fun conversation, and I highly recommend you to to, to listen after we finish it. Yeah, it's not often I have the opportunity to like literally hear later what the actual conversation was leading up before I showed up. This is going to be interesting. Yes, I'm super curious about how. Maybe you've already said like discussed this, but how does your community function? Like the yeah, that's what that's exactly that's exactly what was going on right before you sat down. Awesome,、yeah. so, nice, nice. So、yeah. you were you were telling us about the the categorizations that are available to you within the is it the the ethnicity drop down so to speak?、Mm. Yeah, I still highly recommend you to read the Wikipedia. We yeah, have, we will. No, I'm called, sure we'll do that. Kaifeng K A I F E N G Kaifeng Juice. And I have to repeat it again and again. You know, <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing.、But、anyway, shall we talk about something else? Sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. Moving on. Yeah. Hey, Skyler. Hi. This is the second time that I see you running this meetup. How many meetups do you run? You are going to need to scope that question a little bit for me. What do you how mean? Many, how many ACX meetups do you run? Like personally, or like oversee, or show up to? Well, you're here in、yeah. obviously some like organizational capacity rather than just a participant. So、right. I guess. So some context here.、Uh, my name's Skyler.、Uh, if you read Astrocodex Ten, you will occasionally see Scott mention meetups are Skyler, usually in the context of ACX Everywhere. That's me. That's if you went to an Astrocodex Ten Everywhere meetup this year,、uh, that started when somebody 
like said, hey, I'll run it for this town. And they signed up via a Google form that I ran and I sent them an email going, looks great. Or I said, hey, you, act, you said two in the morning. Did you mean two in the afternoon or something like that? So from a very distant capacity, you could say I run all of them, but okay. that's very misleading, right? Okay. Because I'm just, you know, running the spreadsheet, okay. formatting a thing for right. Scott to announce. That's a great clarification. Let's yep. start with that. Okay, so as far as rows on a spreadsheet is all of them. And then there is a funnel from there down to... <laughs> right. So I usually live in Boston where okay. I run meetups more regularly where I'm directly, I'm sitting there I'm personally going, hey, welcome. Today we're working on this. Today we're doing this kind of reading. Today we're doing this weird board game that I made up. It has some rationalist themes. I'm not actually sure it's been good for Boston that meetups are, uh, in large part because I switched from doing the things we know work and the things I know people like to doing, nobody's tried this. I wonder if it's any good. And the attendees in Boston will probably back me back up that like occasionally they aren't good and there's a reason nobody was doing them. It's one of the things that turned out to not be good. So this is my favorite answer to questions adjacent to this. There is a rationalist version of Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> originally during Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality, Kowski did a couple of like omakes of just like a couple paragraphs riffing on an idea. And he did a couple, like a couple stanzas of Hamlet and was like, hey, the important thing isn't, you know, the king was assassinated. The important thing is ghosts are real. And anyway, somebody took that and ran with it and wrote a whole story in meter. And I said, this is really great, guys. Why don't we do a play reading? I've got a bunch of printed copies of the script. We'll sit down. We'll each pick a character. Nobody showed up. No, not a single person in a city that reliably gets over 100 for ACX everywhere. <laughs> like, I mean, wait, did anybody say they would show up? No. no okay, it just did. I announced it. It's from. I announced it. it. I showed up in person. I had, and I just kind of sat there. I did have a very strange experience of being like, oh, this guy has some interesting opinions about AI. Wait, he's the one who wrote that Harry Potter fan fiction I read as a teenager? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, there's a great question of how did you find this community? And the answers are all over the map. Yeah. In my case, did you know that Scott Alexander, um, as well as writing a cool blog, wrote a tabletop role-playing game? No. What is it? What is it? Dungeons and Discourse, third edition. It's still up on the Slate, still on the Slate Star Codex website, I think. Would you recommend it? Does the idea of a whole night of like unsung style philosophy puns sound good to you. Occam's razor is like a sword you can pick up and stab somebody with kind of puns. With the right people. I feel like it okay. would be very dependent on the crowd. Then dependent on the crowd, I recommend this. Like, does that. Huh? Okay. All right. Just reading the rule book can be fun if you're the right kind of person. Anyway. Occam's razor seems like an easy one. Yeah. What, what are some others? A spell to prevent you from being shot with ranged weapons. Zeno's Paradox. It's been a couple of years since I read the rule book. Yeah. Um, I love it. A, I think I'm there's... there's sad to admit I love it. Okay. The equivalent of like a fireball uh, is like cools one area, I think, and heats and like makes fire in the other. It's Maxwell's Demon. Uh, I'm... I may be misquoting some of these and like inventing... Like, it's a whole book of this. I read through it years ago. And was like, this is awesome. Huge tabletop role-playing game nerd. And then a few years later, I was like, huh, there's other things on the blog other than this tabletop. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think that strayed a little bit, but... No, that was great. Yeah, uh, yeah so 
meetups that I run, Boston regularly, New York City about once a year, Berkeley about twice a year, and then everything else quarterbacking from very uh, Is Berkeley usually twice a year? Like Yeah, what did I say? Is twice? there somebody else that runs this here when you're not around? I don't know. Um, so there are regular ACX meetups in Berkeley or just rationalists. Yeah. The exact delimiters get a little fuzzy. I'm going to plug at the moment. I think like Bay Area Rationality is the actual Google group at the moment. Mm. The tiny URL is set up to be tinyurl.com slash Berkeley dash ACX. Sorry for the plug, but eh, no good. You walked yeah. into my meetup. It's a it's a podcast. Okay? Yeah, no, this is we need to be plugging things. I mean, oh, we I, were plugging Kaifeng Juice here like a minute ago, and yeah, so I we have just a few hundreds members, so you are within a small population of the world. Okay, yeah, super rare. We are a unicorn. <laughs> um, I don't run most of the Berkeley things. I just show up for the big ones. Cool. Nice, nice, awesome. Andrew is back. Hi, Andrew. Um, yeah, how many rationality meetups do you all go to? Actually, this is your first one. This is my second one. This is your second one. Welcome. This is my second one. Yeah, this is my second one this year. But then I think I took like a seven-year break. But I've been <laughs> a rationalism for maybe decades. Right. <laughs> this is my first one ever. So awesome. thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Hey, what's this small button useful? I think that unplugs the thing. These are, I don't remember the names of these, but you can't pull it out. If you press it, then you can pull it out. Don't pull it out because then you'll be disconnected. I think I mistakenly clicked the ones, we, but we can still hear you. So yeah, I think no, you're, you're good. still good. Okay. Nice. Nice. I think I need a break. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sure, just yeah. Catch you up later. Bye, John. Thank Thanks for coming by. Yeah, how did you, you said you, you took a seven-year break, and I'm doing the math in my head. Yes. And that would be... Like 2016 or so 16, is the okay. last time that... that be, I mean, I've been reading SSP yeah. ever since. I just mean I have taken meetup break for the last seven years. I'm actually not going to commit. I don't, wanna, I don't want the commitment. And there is no commitment. If you sit down, you get in 30 seconds of conversation, and you stand back up, I think. Yeah, if you don't like it, you don't... We don't hold it. It's not a marriage. Welcome. What's your name? This is Miko on the ACX Everywhere podcast. Welcome, Miko. Yeah, what brings you here today? I'm here for the ACX Everywhere meetup. Okay, I walked into that one. How did you find out about it? I started reading the Less Wrong sequences about uh, over a decade ago, and I had known about a few of the Slate Star Codex blog posts that were interesting but I actually had no idea that those communities were, or that there even was a community behind SSC or that it was at all affiliated with Less Wrong until a few years ago. And after I moved to the Bay Area, I was introduced to the Berkeley rationalist community. Cool. Where did you move from? Boston. <sighs> Another one. I'm from Boston myself. Uh, you're staring at me. Why? Is that weird? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. You're sitting there and yeah, we're talking. How have you found the Bay like rationality community? No comment. That's extremely fair. Wild different questions if we want topic switches. Sure. Cool. Favorite books? I, Recenter of all time. All time. Let's go with that. Thinking fast and slow. Solid. Solid. Respectable. I'm going to cop out and do favorite author is Kurt Vonnegut. I think Kurt Vonnegut writes things that are as deep and profound as any author in the world and he writes them at a level that anyone can understand and he writes them in books that are short and snappy 
And I really respect that. I kind of want to ask Slaughterhouse Five was easy to understand. Like that's not me throwing stones exactly. That's just I'll rephrase as easy to read. There aren't okay. reading Slaughterhouse Five is much easier than reading Ulysses or Infinite Jest. Okay, that makes sense. Have you read Mother Night? I have literally only read of Vonnegut's stuff, Slaughterhouse Five. Mm. Mother Night is about an American who is recruited to be a propagandist for the Nazis, and he turns out to be really good at it. So he's supposed to be undercover, but then he has these moral questions of like, wow, I'm actually very good at making Nazi propaganda. And yeah, there's, there's, it's an interesting book. I may add that to my to-read list. Fair warning, that list is long and only grows longer. But like, that's because I keep asking people this question. Um, um, favorite book? Uh, this is going to be so weird to say. High Output Management by Andy Grove. But favorite author is Michael Lewis. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Did anybody read Too Much Like the Lightning, which I found it's from... Not. I found it from ACX. It's kind of speculative science fiction about a world in which there are seven governments that you choose which one you want to opt into. So instead of having your laws governed by geographic borders, your laws are governed by what country you opt into. I No, I've never read the book, but I feel like I read an actual blog post by Scott that says this is a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) You agree? Do you think it's a good idea? I think it's a great idea. (laughs) Generally in favor of regulatory competition, but there are certainly aspects of government services that are inherently bound to geography where I think that implementing that kind of system would be very difficult. Certainly for defense and military, that would probably be the case. I'm imagining, like, the electric grid gets really weird. <laughs> Sewage line, roads, yeah. We need to find an Fire departments, they... right? You free rider problems like that. Because your neighbor uses a different government than you do, and they have a different fire department. Do Is it in their best interest to put out a fire at your house to stop it from spreading to your neighbor's house? Well, there are private fire departments, and I think they... They have solved this problem. I think they have protocols for when they choose to save the neighbor's house and when they let it burn. Didn't the first fire departments get in a bunch of trouble for starting fires? I have this fuzzy memory from history. Yes, and many, many current fire departments. Arson is very common amongst firefighters. Okay, that makes sense. You're selecting for people who want to work around fire (laughs) and like put a bunch of thought into it. You know, put a range of tractors. Yes, put the put the other sign in front of it. (laughs) What's the line from Unsung? If I'd meant it to be a fire extinguishing department, I would have said that. <laughs> well, for years, I've been saying my own favorites are either Ender's Game or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I haven't been able to pick. Did you watch the Ender's Game movie? I did. That was one of the worst examples I've seen of a book turned into a movie. So the I re- rest was so good. I recall, I recall hearing... What's, what's his name? Scott... The author. Uh, Orson Scott Card. Orson Scott Card. Sorry, there are many Scots many in this Scots, conversation. Right, right. I recall hearing an interview with him where he said that for many years he resisted selling the movie rights because he he had insisted that the story not be changed to add like a romantic element and that they only use actors whose age does not exceed the age of the characters. So he didn't want to use post-pubescent actors to play to play prepubescent characters, which precludes that romantic element, and the studios 
would never agree to that because they thought it was like the waste a waste of their summer flick if they couldn't include this sexual element. Well, another argument against it would be there's really strict laws around child labor in movies. I think they can only work in like six hour shifts. So I imagine having an entire cast of 12 year olds would be like a nightmare to manage. Also finding really good child actors is reportedly difficult. Yeah, I would imagine. So you're right. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. I was going to say, you're a, you said you're a Vonnegut fan. I was going to change the subject a little bit. I wanted to know what you think of the short story Harrison Bergeron, if you've read that. Wait, um, is that a Vonnegut? I think it is. Is it not? I, I've read it. I don't remember I the author. I'm pretty sure it's Vonnegut. Why don't you give us a description and then... It's a short story, so how, I'll see how, how short my description can be. <laughs> it's, it's about the detriments of a society in which... Equality of equality of outcome is prioritized above all else, above the the certainly the rights and quality of life of their residents. I don't know if I've read that one. That doesn't sound like a Vonnegut book, but okay. <laughs> well, you can you can fact check me. I'm gonna, I'm about to look it up. Someone will. Uh, no, it is. It's a short story by Kurt Vonnegut. Huh. Hmm. What's it called again? Harrison Bergeron. Arson Bergeron. Okay. Add it to the list. What are the what are the conclusions of the consequences of prioritizing equality of outcomes over all? So if somebody's too smart, then every few seconds they get like an electric jolt to their brain to scramble their thoughts yeah. in order to stop them from having thoughts because that's unfair to to people who are inherently less capable of having intelligent thoughts. And strong people are weighted down with weight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I remember this one. Ballerinas also, yeah. Yeah. Wear bags over their heads if they're too attractive. Something like that. Yeah, they like have to wear masks, I think. The ending was very weird. I think a guy like... I don't remember the his, ending. A guy turns into a Superman and he you know rips off 400 pounds worth of weights and then is killed by the government, I think. Do you read Player Piano also by Kurt Vonnegut? I haven't story about a society that is totally automated and everyone is basically just living off machines as a food machine and entertainment machine and there's a big revolution and they all smash up all the machines and they'll get bored and start fixing the machines that is um, a deeply deeply plausible <laughs> I'm trying to remember the title i think it was something like riders of the purple wage it was a universal basic income dystopia hmm. they gave me harrison bergeron vibes when i read it yeah, what was what was dystopic about it? The basic idea was like everybody has enough money to live to eat, so everybody's bored and watching TV, except for a couple of people who get involved in weird artistic competitions. But the art has kind of gotten divorced from what people enjoy. It's just sort of aiming at, well, nobody's done this before. It turns out the reason is that it's not very good. Is that what you were going with when you did your Hamlet thing? Ouch, and no. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very plausible. And the writing style was very interesting, and it's one of those pieces of prose that like is hard to talk about, but read it and you're like, man, this person is doing something very specific and a little bit hard to describe. I don't know. All right. Sorry, I have a bunch of stage comedy training, so I react to dead air like vampires to garlic. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, throw some... Sure, some fill it in. Yeah. Uh, I donated my right kidney to a stranger. What? Congratulations, sir. Or congratulations. Thank you? <laughs> Something in that <laughs> I neighborhood? I didn't donate it to you. Well, no, but to human on behalf of humanity. I assume other people thanked you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So we could talk about that. Yeah. What yeah. Drew made Go right ahead. Do tell, that to tell us. Yeah. What made you do that is a question that I get a lot. And it's difficult because it was a long process and I thought a lot about it. And I thought long enough about it that I have at least 10 different answers that I could give that would all be honest for reasons for doing it. Wait, hold on. Before we get into that, do you regret it? No, not at all. Okay. I, I have had basically no negatives. I took three weeks off work. I was in the hospital for about 36 hours, recovered very quickly. I'm perfectly healthy. The one downside is I can't take ibuprofen or Motrin, but that's, that's very manageable. Did you know the person you donated it to? No. Even afterward? Afterwards, like They don't yes. give you the email of like, yes, take a selfie together? <laughs> we exchanged letters afterward. She's a nurse. She was 34. This was two years ago. Has four children. Yeah. So was there, did you know that there was a specific person in need or did you just say, there's probably someone who needs my kidney. I'm going to go donate it and see who gets it. Yeah. So the way that it works is you, I came in and I said, I want to get rid of this kidney that I'm not using. And they do a bunch of blood testing for different, I think it's antibodies. And then they have a national database. And what they'll do is, let's say, Skylar needs a kidney. And your brother wants to give you a kidney. And I also need a kidney in my sister wants to give me a kidney, but neither of our people are matches, but they're matches for each other. So my sister can give you a kidney. Your brother can give me a kidney. The system, the database can make that connection and then like connect you two. And it can do that in the case of like N equals two, but you can do that for N equals 10. You can do any number of people where you're training, you know, this person gives it to this person. So when you come in as what they call an altruistic donor, where you don't have a specific person, they put you into this algorithm and then they try to find one of those chains that is just like missing one link where they can slot you into. Oh, interesting. Cool. Do they put you on a list of like, will prioritize giving this person the kidney if they should ever, if something should ever happen to their non, non-disposable one? I think so, but my rationale around this was most people who develop kidney problems, including kidney donors, it usually happens at the age of 65 or later, which for me is 2060. And I imagine that by 2060, we'll probably have lots of ways of treating kidney disease. Oh, interesting. Is, are kidneys the only organ you can really do this with? No, you can donate a piece of your liver and it will grow back. I have not done that. <laughs> um, okay. You can donate bone marrow. That one I knew about. That yeah. seems like yeah. more okay, ongoing. So, so yeah, sort of, I'm like could on have the chosen right. various other ways to medically contribute to strangers. Why this one? Well, I was on the bone marrow list. I, so I mean, it actually. was like, they've never asked me. Yeah, so. I think it's harder to find a match. I mean, I, you know, it's like drugs. There's like gateway drugs. I started donating blood and then I was donating plasma. And before you know it, you know, I've been donating blood for over a decade now. Huh? I don't know. Plasma. I've done plasma a few times. It takes a bit longer is the main thing. Uh, no, platelets is what I'm thinking of. Right. That's what it is. Platelet, uh, plate, yeah. Platelets, like yeah. blood, you're in and out in like half an hour if they've got their act together. Platelets are like two or three hours to cycle it through. Yeah. I know. My years ago, my grandfather started competition with my dad saying like, hey, I've donated more blood than you have. <laughs> and my family's very competitive. So they started like keeping count. And then I started trying when I was like 17, 18. Are you, are you winning? 
no, I'm obviously I'm losing. <laughs> They've been doing this for like 30 years more than I am. Okay. That's interesting. But I'm catching up slowly. I actually have a competition to see if I can receive more blood transfusions <laughs> than anyone else. So, <laughs> so, Jake, how long was it from the point where you went in and said, I want to donate my kidney until they found you a match and scheduled you for a donation? It was about nine months, which is longer than normal because of COVID. COVID hit. Mm. I started the process before COVID. And then COVID hit, which slowed things down significantly. Yeah, so it took a while. So this was relatively recent, last few years? So two years ago? Two years ago, I think. Yeah, 20, 2021. I had like one one funny moment during the process is I had, you know, one of the final consultations with a surgeon and I'm laying down on the table and he's pointing at my stomach and going, we're going to make a small incision here, a small incision here, an incision here on your waist about the size of a hand because that's where I'm going to put my hand in. And of course, I look, and this man had the biggest hands <laughs> I had ever seen. Like, isn't there like some kind of someone with much smaller hands in this apartment who can do this surgery? But uh, no, he did, he did a great job. It closed up very nicely. Uh, you said you took three weeks off of work. The operation, you were in and out of the hospital in like 36 hours? Yeah. What did you do for the other like three weeks? For the first week, I just kind of lay in bed. My mom came out and, and took care of me. But for the next two weeks, I just kind of like played video games. And it was... A very nice excuse to be extremely lazy. I was like, no, I donated a kidney. I have to lay around and play video games and watch TV all day. Yeah. Um, do you generally recommend other people try this? I, if someone is like, oh, I am thinking of donating a kidney, should I do it? I would definitely say yes. I don't go around recommending it to people because I don't want to be like, hey, everybody, you all have kidneys. You should get rid of them <laughs> like I did because I'm such a good person. Be a good person like me. Mm -hmm. Huh. But yeah, if someone... If someone is listening to this and they're like, oh, I don't know if I should do it, I, I would recommend it. It was a good experience and it has continued to have benefits over the years. Wait, so what were the benefits? No matter how low I'm feeling or how bad I feel about myself, I always can like hold on to that. Like even if I feel like I'm a total piece of shit someday, which happens sometimes, I can be like, well, I am a total piece of shit, but I did do that cool thing that one time. Interesting. I think I aspire to do more cool things, but I understand, I don't know, that makes sense to me of going, hey, I did at least this. Yeah. What are some cool things you aspire to do? I mean, donate a lot of blood. <laughs> I, so for me, that like competition morphed into like how many counterfactual lives do I think I've saved? Mm -hmm. I donate some to like AMF or like, you know, malaria, net, bed nets. And so there's this counter in my head that's like, how many people have I probably saved? And that's probably the closest. It's less direct, right? It isn't this specific person with a name. It's just, yes, at some point, somebody needed blood. At some point, somebody might have gotten bit by a mosquito. So yeah, not kidney specific, but that similar, hey, here's my current score for lives saved. Yeah, have you ever heard the thing about like, Batman has saved N people. The person who killed Batman's parents has saved N minus two people. I mean, you're double counting, right? Most, it's like Batman's saved N divided by two, and whoever killed his parents is like two. You have to split. You can't double count the lives. Well, I think you should assign more of the credit to Batman than to the murderer. <laughs> uh, so really what you should be doing is you should be starting competitions with people to get them to donate. See if they can donate more blood than you. Hey, I bet Hey, Jake, I bet I can donate more blood than you. <laughs> I will say for anybody listening, I have been on exactly one date where this came up. 
And the person I was going out with was, this was like first date. And she was like, that's actually really, how many people have, you think you've saved that way? Oh, that's really impressive. So it works. Well, you gotta at tell least us the once. number now. You gotta tell us the number. Uh, last time I ran the numbers, I think I was in the like 45, 46. Wow. How much of that is blood and how much is mosquito nets? I think like, a th- I have spreadsheets for this, man. My memory's awful. I want to say it's like a third blood and two thirds other things. Blood, the math is like every third third donation is about a life in expectation. Though I yeah. cut in the hospital and like the nurses and the doctors for like some, because again, I don't like the double counting thing. Uh, I don't know. Anybody read the micro marriages post? Yeah. There's a great joke and a post responding to it that you shouldn't be op- optimizing for micromarriages. You should be optimizing for quality adjusted wife years. Yep. I, it's a good joke. I'm going to step away because I need to deal with a food situation. Great. I'm hungry. Food isn't there yet. Yeah. Should we, should we stop it here? Yeah. For now? Yeah. No, I can, like, I can, I can hop back in if the food's in here. Yeah, sure. Do you have a fun fact? You can, you can. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, I should have spent this entire time thinking about fun facts, but for whatever reason. Spending too much time paying attention to the conversation. You said you're from uh, Uzbekistani? Yeah, I was born in Uzbekistan. I don't know anything about Uzbekistan. Tell me something about it. It is, it used to be a republic of the Soviet Union. It is now an independent country. It borders Afghanistan, and there's a part of it that borders China. It is, it's very low, as in like very high numbers on the like United Nations uh, rights, respecting human rights (laughs) record, shall we say, you know, it's like 180 something. They've had multiple government cracks down on demonstrators type of thing. It is Muslim majority country. I'm ethnically Jewish. It did not make for a fun childhood, shall we say? Um, and see what else. I speak Russian as my first language, even though there is, there is a native Uzbek language, but most of the people that are ethnically Uzbek, they speak their Uzbek language as, as their first language. I came to the States when I was 12. My father's in so that's a good that's a good chunk of childhood there like growing up there yeah yeah no i spent the first 12 years there i have quite vivid memories is there anything that you think would be really surprising to an american about those those 12 years um sure i i started learning english when i was eight in second grade because i was going to a school where like it was a languages school we, that school had produced lots of like interpreters and diplomats and ships so in the states it's quite rare for to start learning a second language in the second grade but over there it was actually reasonably common so that was under yeah under the communist under like I mean it was not was it was a US, it wasn't USSR right but it, just it was it right was, technically yeah yeah yeah. No. yeah so USSR fell apart 
91, I think. I was going to take a big picture of everybody who wants to take in the courtyard. Yeah. Sure, we can do that. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Right. No, cool. But yeah, I would like to, yeah. I read a lot about life under different regimes. Yeah, yeah. well, uh-huh. Stasi land was this. Anyway, yeah, we could talk about yeah, all that stuff later. Right. Yeah, no, I'd like to. Sounds great. All right, picture time. We'll be back. Uh,